Welcome to the Comic Sauce Podcast, where we talk comics and comics culture. I am Henry Liu. Catch us on social media at Comic Sauce Pod on Twitter and Instagram. Today is July 29th, 2021. And I am joined by Porfirio Rangel. Porfirio, how are you doing? Doing good, Henry. Happy to be here as always. Excellent. I'm also joined by Christian Diadamo. Christian, how are you? Doing well, doing well. Can't wait to talk about some Loki. Yes, indeed. We are also joined by a special guest. Our special guest is Edward from Super Serious 616. Edward, Thank you so much for joining us. It's great to have you. Great. It should be fun. Definitely. And as Christian had mentioned, we will be talking about Loki. Loki season one has just completed on Disney Plus, and we're going to get into it. Uh, spoiler alert, we're going to get into key plot points, etc., etc. So you have been warned. Uh, before we do that, though, uh, Edward, maybe you can tell us a little bit about your show, Super Serious 616. Yeah, happy to. Uh, it's, it's a it's a funny concept. What we do is um, Mike and I are effectively radio announcers in 1961, 1962, 1963, when the start of the Marvel Universe happens. And so we, 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 are, we are in world and we react to the public events that are happening in the world. We basically teach all of the stuff that is happening in those early Marvel comics, starting with Fantastic Four number one, uh, and we treat it we treat it as if, if as if it was real, um, and we respond to it. So anything that's happening in private, when when Reed Richards and the team go and defeat the Mole Man on an island in the middle of the Atlantic, we don't know what's happened, just the way that anyone else does. But presumably he comes back and does a press conference and tells everybody he's taking care of it, and so we respond to that press conference and respond to um, the alien invasions and the monster attacks and the the plethora of superhuman characters that get thrown at us over uh, over those first few years. Phenomenal. That is so cool. Yeah. You know, these days there are a lot of comics themed podcasts, including the one you're currently listening to. Um, but so often the case is like us, it's like a talk show format, right? Um, what you've done here, Edward, is is very different. It's very unique. Um the episodes tend to be much shorter than your typical podcast. And yeah, it's like um, almost like a, like a old time radio broadcast, right? Where it's a, it's drama. It's like a radio drama in a way. Right. Well, kind of like, so, so it's, we, we, we try to basically play versions of ourselves uh, only with the limited knowledge that we have from living in this world. And so Mike is a, is a, a working lawyer. And so we often get into legal discussions on the, the liabilities, like what happens when the Baxter building gets torn off into space and there's people living in that building. How, how, do, how, how should they respond to that? And, um, like what type of insurance products do they need to have? And um, I have a background in physics and a background in business. So in, in one of the last episodes we recorded, we talked about the Avengers breaking up and replacing the Hulk with giant man. And we talked about like, how do companies handle courtroom, sorry, not courtroom, executive changes. When you have a salesperson, a, say you're a sales leader and he's not doing his job or he's not doing the job the way you want him to, but you can't afford to not have a salesperson. 
what, what do you do? Well, you got to bring in the replacement and have him ready to go. And that's kind of what we debated was happening on the Avengers when the Hulk was getting kicked off and the giant man was brought in his place as like the, to, to handle the, 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 the being a giant strong guy that they needed on the team. Very cool. Yeah. Um, you know, with myself, Christian and Porfirio, we were definitely pretty obsessed with comics culture. Uh, but what you've done here is taken this obsession kind of to, to another level. I think it's great because um, with Marvel, a big appeal to Marvel of Marvel is uh, the relatability of it. And and your show has taken that really, um, like I said, to another level, right? You're talking about treating this material as if it was real, right? In a real life kind of scenario. And um, again, very unique and, and definitely cool. Uh, okay, so before we get off that, you know, I mean, I've, I've, I am a lifelong Marvel Comics fan and this period of Marvel Comics, you're talking about the Silver Age, the 60s, the birth of, of uh, the Marvel Age, if you will. Um, a fascinating period, an important period. I think this is a, a great moment in American history, the Silver Age of Marvel Comics. And um, th there was just incredible creativity during this period. What Stan Lee, Jack Kirby, Steve Ditko created in terms of characters and stories is really unparalleled. Uh, so someone like you, Edward, who is clearly fully invested in this period and the stories from this period, what is it about this age of Marvel Comics that you are so drawn to? I think what's most interesting, it's, it's all the, what's where the founding myths were made. And I think most of us, if you have even a passing interest in comics, like my, my, my six-year-old can tell you the origin of Spider-Man and they can tell you that she can tell you the origin of the Incredible Hulk and the origin of Thor. Um, but uh, once you get past those initial origins, at least I wasn't that familiar with it. Like I, I wasn't really familiar with what was happening in Ant-Man and his fourth appearance. Like I, I don't think I really knew. I definitely didn't internalize it. And so going back and like reading this stuff and, and taking notes on it and, and paying attention to like, how, what, what, what would this actually mean to the, the world happening, the, the world around you? Um, it's, been, it's been fascinating. Um, and I think uh, what's been, what's, what makes it great is often that it's, well, it's, frankly, most times it's not great. There's these great ideas and these great concepts mixed in with like, just, you can tell there's, there, Stan Lee at the beginning was just flailing around trying to figure out what worked, right? Like yeah. St Stan Lee was not this like master myth maker um, the way like say George Lucas was, who had like read all the, or like knew kind of all of the old stuff um, and was like trying to reconstitute it into a new form. Uh, Stan Lee was throwing stuff against the wall and hoping and seeing what stuck. Like he wrote romances and he wrote uh, horror movies and, and he wrote Westerns and he, he was just trying to find what could sell. And I think um, that combined with the business practices that were happening at the time where uh, I don't know if you guys are familiar with this, but Marvel shared a distributor with, with DC and they had limitations on how many superhero comics they were allowed to make or whether they're allowed to distribute any superhero comics. And so all of the heroes at the beginning 
um, were basically snuck in as heroes. If you look at Fantastic Four number one, the cover doesn't look like a superhero comic. It looks like a monster comic. And even the sto- storyline, it, it's a monster story about scientists fighting a monster, not the beginning of a superhero organization. Ant-Man didn't get his costume until his third appearance. Or, or Sorry, that's not true. He got his costume in his second appearance, but he, he didn't get like, he wasn't a, a superhero. He was top secret scientist studying ants until his third appearance. All these characters came about almost like they, Stanley managed to sneak them in because he knew the superhero stuff would sell, but he wasn't allowed to sell superhero stuff. So he snuck these characters in, in titles like Amazing Fantasy and Tales of Suspense and Tales to Astonish, uh, amazing stories. Like he would, he uh, fit superheroes into them. And when something kind of worked, they went back to the, the drawing board and said, uh, how can we turn this Hank Pym guy into a superhero? How can we turn this Doctor Strange into a superhero? But none of them started as well, very few of them started as superheroes. Yeah, that to me is very fascinating too. how a lot of these now legendary superheroes were created during this interesting transition from horror comics to superhero comics. And uh, yeah, I think that's that's kind of a forgotten thing, you know. Um, it's quite apparent with the titles of these comics. You know, the first appearance of Iron Man is Tales of Suspense. The first appearance of Thor is Journey into Mystery. You know, you kind of take it at face value now, but if you think about it, it's they're pretty strange titles for superhero comics, right? Uh, but it's exactly what you're saying, Edward. They're, they happened during this transition from horror, right? So yeah, that's right. This, they, they weren't superhero comics. And then even once yeah. they started, like Hank Pin started appearing regularly in, uh, in Tales to Astonish, the, the issues were like, they weren't full length superhero stories. There was an Ant-Man story. And then there was like sometimes one or two or sometimes even three other stories mixed in. Yeah. There, like in, in every issue, in addition to like the comic book part, uh, Stan Lee wrote like a full page short story that was kind of like random mixed in with the pages of like superheroes fighting each other. Yeah, really cool. I mean, we don't want to go down the rabbit hole here, but there is so much interesting discussion with with these old comics. And yeah, I fairly recently read uh, digitally uh, the first appearance of Spider-Man, Amazing Fantasy 15. And it's exactly what you're saying, Edward. Yes, Spider-Man has a featured story in it, but it also has a lot of non-superhero stories in it also. Uh, and they're very strange, very weird stuff. Um, so it's just uh, it's just really fascinating, all of it. Okay, so, oh, and just one last note. I, I think this is great. This is what fandom is all about. You know, like, it's not just one thing. It's not just a superhero movie. You could be into comics fandom in so many ways. It could be cosplay it could be uh comics writing uh i mean or something like this where you totally break down the original silver age marvel comics to the point where you're like dissecting it episode by episode by creating uh these very unique podcast episodes so uh i love it the the, the diversity and the type of comics fandom it always blows me away and i don't and i'm always excited to see uh the different ways people can be fans so on the loki all right so as i mentioned 
Loki season one has recently completed on Disney Plus. And we're going to get into it. Yeah. A couple of weeks ago, we did our Black Widow episode and the finale had just released and we were so ready <laughs> to, to talk about it. Uh, I think we can probably do a full episode on that last episode, right? Uh, episode six. Um, uh, but we're going to take a crack at the whole season here. Um, as we often do, we can start with what worked well with Loki season one. Uh, what do you think, Perferio? What worked well for, for you with this season? I, think I felt like this show was different than what we've seen in the rest of the MCU. I mean, like earlier in the year, we had WandaVision that was just like, everybody was like, what the hell are we watching and everything? And then we went back to like Falcon and Winter Soldier, which was typical Marvel formula of like action and um, fighting and everything. And then Loki, it was kind of like a combo of both of like, what the hell again are we watching? It's like from the first episode, like, I had no idea what the hell I was watching. Like, Loki appears from the end of Endgame. He's not dead. What a surprise. And then all of a sudden, he's taken to, like, this, like, um, the agency about uh, escaping death and being in the wrong, like, timeline. And it was just heck of confusing. But I think that, that's what caught my interest from the first episode. And then from there, <laughs> honestly, yeah, it was just it just kept getting more and more confusing. And I think by the end of the show, I left the show with more questions than when I first started. But it was trippy and very different from Marvel. Yeah, I agree with a lot of what you just said. Yeah, you know, the show did answer a lot of questions, but like you, I walked away with a whole lot more questions at the end. <laughs> uh, but I agree, too, that it was very different. And I think it was a big plus. You know, like th these Marvel Disney Plus shows continue to impress me in that they really aren't following any kind of formula. They're just putting out unique content. You know, it's it's really fascinating to see you know, what, what gets released week to week, you just don't know what's coming. And, and I think that alone makes this show appealing and it, and it makes uh, everything they've put out so far appealing WandaVision and Falcon and Winter Soldier. Uh, so yeah, it was, it was a pretty bizarre season. <laughs> uh, some ups and downs. I definitely had some, uh, some nitpicking here and there, but overall mm -hmm. it was just, a unique experience and uh, yeah. I, I do cherish that uh, what about you Christian what did you feel how did you feel about season one Loki Ooh, I had a lot of fun with uh, season one season <laughs> one of the show um, it reminded me of like a Terry Gilliam kind of movie with, like Brazil Time Bandits um, or Rick and Morty I'm a big fan of Rick and Morty yeah. and um, mm -hmm. one of the writers it was from Rick and Morty, of course. So it definitely brought a lot of that kind of um, off-the-wall, uh, multi-dimensional shenanigans that Rick and Morty is known for. I thought the TVA was a great concept. The, the like, kind of time cops, in a way. 
and like the various different versions of Loki was uh, was a really fun concept. I think the show was like off the wall weird. It expanded the Marvel universe in a pretty substantial way, or the, the MCU in a pretty su- substantial way, and um, kind of it kept building on itself and kept like it's like Porfirio said, like you always had questions of where it was going to go and what's going to happen next. So yeah, big thumbs up for me. Good call. Yeah, you mentioned Terry Gilliam's Brazil. I could totally see that parallel too. Visually, quite similar. And uh, yeah, that was a big plus for me too. Just the visuals of the show. Aesthetically, a pretty beautiful show to watch. You know, you could turn the volume down and just like, just get that eye candy, right? Um, Cool, cool stuff. Great sets. Uh, great uh, like production design, you know. Okay, uh, Edward, what did you think about Loki season one? I, yeah, so I, I thought it was great. I thought it was the best Marvel they put out in a while. I think the uh, if you look at the stuff they put out since End Endgame, I think was some of the kind of the they did a fantastic job of ending like like uh, seven, eight, nine years of of Marvel cinematic stuff. Um, and then since then we kind of had we had, we had a year and a bit of nothing right until till this year, yeah. and I think of the stuff that's come out this year, it's by far the strongest. I think there's a big, it is there's a big gap to like the second best thing that come out came out this year, which is probably Black Widow, maybe Wanda, um, and then uh, Winter Soldier. I thought was qu- quite a bit below that. Um, so I think that they did a great job. I think that the episodes were a little bit inconsistent. I think that of the six episodes, four of them were some of the super strongest stuff we've seen from Marvel in a long time. I thought season episode three and episode five were a little bit weaker than the others. Um, I'm happy to talk about that as much as we want to, or not to walk, talk about it. But um, uh, I think o- overall um, a really nice job of setting up kind of the next phase of what's happening in Marvel, what, where they're going to go. And they've created the next big bad, right? Like, uh, like it's, it's interesting with, with Thanos coming along and he basically wiped out half the universe how do you raise the stakes from there? Like, where do you go next? And they just did a really nice job of like when Loki finds the infinity stones and their paperweights and you're like, Oh my gosh, we've moved to a whole other level when yeah. like Thanos wiping out half the universe is nothing. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great call. And, you know, I don't know if we want to dive into Kang already, but I think, I think we need to. <laughs> so um, he isn't, referred to as Kang in the show, but clearly he is Kang. Uh, on the show, episode six, he is referred to as he who remains, right? Um, great performance by uh, this actor, uh, Jonathan Majors. And um, yeah, that episode was was really something else. Um, yeah, kind of like what you're saying, Edward. Um, with Endgame, we saw this end of this uh, tremendous storyline wrapping up all the Thanos stuff, all the Infinity Stones stuff. Um, and we all walked away thinking, okay, how in the hell are they going to top that, right? Um, and it wasn't even so much, oh, like, how are they going to top it? But like, how are they going to even like follow that up? How are you going to follow that act up? Right. Um, so it sure as heck seems like 
Kang is going to be the next big bad here. Mm-hmm. And or, the or, way- or big bads, big bads. Big, they're, they're yeah. up to, there's not going to be one of them, right? There's going to be plural. Yeah, like Jonathan Majors is going to appear many, many, many times in different forms. And maybe sometimes he's going to be good and sometimes he's going to be bad. We, you don't even know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is a great point. Uh, this idea of a multiverse has really come to the forefront. And um, yeah, it's most likely not going to be just one Kang. It could be Kang from a number of different universes with varying degrees of sanity, varying degrees of evil, varying degrees of kindness. You just don't know, you know? Um, So yeah, where do we start here? Uh, Well, okay, the episode itself, episode six, uh, is interesting because there was a lot of talking. There was a lot of like exposition, right? Explaining stuff, which can be pretty boring, but what they were talking about is so monumental in the MCU that, you know, Marvel fans like us are like, you know, you had to be glued to your seat, like just listening to what they were talking about. Right. Because they were ex- basically explaining everything, everything you had seen in Loki so far, the TVA and all that stuff was explained. And in a way the entire Marvel universe was explained. Right. Um, so yeah thoughts on what was going on in your mind as you were hearing this conversation yeah like specifically there was a conversation uh in kang's lair where kang was kind of explaining everything to sylvie and loki Uh, what thoughts were running through your mind here what do you think how how about you christian what were you thinking um man i love that i did love that finale um, I think <laughs> compared to the other two, because the other two, like, they kind of get to their battles right away with Falcon and Winter Soldier and WandaVision. Whereas this one, like, it's, uh, I think I was expecting something like that, like a, some sort of battle uh, encompassing a lot of people. Like the other two, because that's kind of like, I thought they were kind of setting up a formula, but it's so intimate with just these three characters and Kang, um, just kind of like telling like giving this big exposition dump of how the TVA works and who he is that like um like I think because I wasn't expecting it I was like way more invested and and I was like I was on the edge of my seat like what's gonna happen are they gonna kill him or not because you have the two characters you know Sylvie and Loki and they both have like even though they are both Loki in a sense They've had such different lives. They're essentially different people. And like you wonder like, oh, are they going to kill him? Are they going to go through with it? Or are they or is he going to convince them? And I think like the performance of Kang, like he definitely convinced me. I thought like, OK, let him run uh, the multiverse like he could do. He could do it. I, I don't think you guys should kill him. You guys yeah. really shouldn't kill him. Yeah. Yeah. There was a really interesting dynamic going on. And I think the reason why it didn't come off as just this boring exposition scene was that, I mean, I was thinking like, who's, who's in the right here? Like, who should we trust? Who should we believe? And everything was like gray area, right? So Kang seemed 
pretty level-headed seemed pretty like believable like sylvie was saying he's lying right i i i kind of believed him the whole time he seemed like he know he knew what he was talking about but then you thought like is is what he's doing right should should the tva continue um is what sylvie wants to do right killing kang this person who's like perpetuated this lie that has has sent her on this lifelong mission um and then like and then there's loki you know he, he seems kind of conflicted and just the whole time i just like i, I wasn't sure like who who to side with and i think the scene was sort of purposely done like that right so you're supposed to ask yourself these questions and it it, it the, the drama to me was like okay who who, who should I be siding with here? Like what idea should about, should I be running with? Uh, and, and I don't think there was an easy answer. It, it, it's, it's like purposefully complicated, right. In, in a great way. Any other thoughts on this scene? Yeah. So for me, I was, I was really, for one, I was just fangirling out when I saw King, just cause when they first announced the character was going to appear in the MCU, but you know, it was was it announced that he wasn't going to appear until Ant Man three, so right. and they showed him in Loki in the finale. I was just kind of like, oh my gosh, because I mean, like you see all these like rumors going around, like even like One Division, like Mephisto's going to show up or something, and um, so everyone was like, oh, Kane's going to show up. I was just like thinking, like, oh man, like people already have their theories and everything <laughs> yeah so when he did show up i was kind of like oh my god he did show up but uh um going along about the whole talk about like king's plan i actually kind of like that it didn't end like on a huge battle scene like typical marvel formula just because it kind of laid out the foundations for what we're going to expect from um phase four i mean like one division kind of touched it with when her like kind of looking to like alternative realities to go find her kids but then you know like we're in the future she's going to play a major role in Doctor Strange 2 and Spider-Man 3 is going to have an, also a multiverse storyline so I kind of like that King um, and his plan kind of laid out the seeds for what we're going to expect for the future and so I think that's why I believe King, just from knowing how the face is going to be planned out, I had more trust in him. And Sylvie, I fell for her, but I didn't think I agreed with her for killing King, because I, I didn't think that was the solution. And then Loki, I just 100% did not trust him. <laughs> like, like yeah. the whole show, I, I, I didn't trust him. Um, he was still like, you know, the, the god of mischief to me. Um, but I, uh, you know, that whole sit down and explain situation, I just didn't get bored of it. And I was just intrigued by it. And, you know, even though like the last episode of a show is supposed to be like kind of like the resolution to like a major conflict. I felt like we got some things like what the TVA is and what the timelines are, but by the end of it, like by the very, very end, like we're left with so many more questions that I think like 
won't just be answered in season two, but like various parts of phase four, starting with possibly, I think, like Spider-Man three. Yeah, I agree. Like the ending of this show opened up, opened up this huge can of worms that is not going to be contained in just Loki, right? There's ramifications for the entire MCU. And um, yeah, the hints at the multiverse stuff that we were getting from like the Doctor Strange title, the multiverse of madness, or all these like crazy casting rumors we're hearing about the next Spider-Man movie. uh, They were totally confirmed by this episode, right? I mean... Kang specifically uses the term multiversal war. He says this. He, he, he refers to it as the war that he ended, but he also uses that term when he's talking about, if you kill me, there's going to be another multiversal war. So clearly that's where we're headed, right? And the possibilities are like truly limitless. So it's it's pretty exciting stuff. Um, but yeah, kind of like we were saying, uh, we got some questions answered, but a whole lot more questions came with this finale. Um, and I know, yeah, we wanted to get into thoughts and questions, but before that, maybe a little bit more on the good and the bad of the show. Um, what else uh, What else was good? What else worked for you guys about uh, Loki season one? Anything specific? I think the style of the show was really like again. We keep using these words like unique and different, and again, the the, the climax wasn't a, a bunch of people punching each other. Um, I, but I think what's what's interesting what Marvel has done to keep the superhero genre fresh is it feels like almost every movie or uh, production combines the superhero genre with a different genre. And so you see like Captain America 2 is like a political thriller mixed with superheroes. And um, Spider-Man is a mix. It's a romantic comedy or a teen romantic comedy mixed with uh, uh, superheroes. And so they've, they've done this thing. And I think what they did with Loki that maybe wasn't entirely obvious until almost was, it was finished was that Loki was almost like a superhero genre mixed with like a Twilight Zone episode. And, and it was like, yeah. to me, it was like super obvious when you had the last, like that last little like twist at like the, um, uh, the, the final little kicker at the end where Mobius doesn't know who Loki is just felt very, very, very twilight zone. Um, mm. But you could feel like that happening kind of throughout the entire show and they didn't cop out and they didn't like turn it into like twilight zone doesn't end with people punching each other. Right. It ends with like the big reveal and, and they, they stuck with that genre and, and, they, and they stuck the landing, which was great. Yeah. Good call. Yeah, I was thinking too about the ending and how they didn't feel the need to have this epic battle at the end, right? And Christian, you were alluding to it earlier, but uh, WandaVision and Falcon and Winter Soldier kind of ended weakly, I think, Um, but not with Loki. I I thought this last episode was a real, uh, like, finishing on a high note, you know? yeah, Kang was great. I I also really like Sylvie in this season. Like like you're saying, Perfirio, her 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 motivations at the end were very questionable. But the character is great. I, I really dug having this uh, Loki variant. 
uh, throughout the show. I thought she brought a lot to it. Um, yeah, I, I was I was really curious. Like we're kind of mentioning there's some unevenness through, you know, the the midpoints of the season. What got me through it was Sylvie. Like I, I just could not wait to see what was next for her character. Um, I was definitely fascinated. So I thought she was great. Um, so what didn't work so great about this season? Any uh, shortcomings you guys can think of? Was it all good? What's a... Edward, I think you brought it up earlier. Episode three. I hated that episode. Mm. Yeah. Now, this is sometimes referred to as a train episode, right? Yes. Okay. Uh-huh. Well, let's talk about I, that. Yeah. <laughs> it was, I felt like it was a total filler episode, like a waste of an episode. I, like, okay, we got some information about Sylvie's past, but she didn't open up. And you got typical Loki just messing around and, like, it was cool visually and everything. Not going to lie. It was, um, but other than that, I was just, I thought it made no sense to have that episode. I was just very, like, by the end of it, I was frustrated. I was like, this was just a waste. But, yeah. Yeah, I think it's kind of like what we're talking about with the final episode. There was a lot of talking, a lot of exposition. So, I think same thing here, right? But I think the difference was with that that final episode, there were just such huge ramifications of what they were talking about. Whereas in episode three, it, it really felt like two people just chit-chatting, right? And, you know, not a whole lot came of it. Although I would argue that um, you, you kind of got to see their relationship kind of blossom. That's when they got to know each other, right? And... Um, that was kind of an interesting storyline for the season, right? There was a romance between Sylvie and Loki, the unlikeliest, unlikeliest of romances, right? A Loki <laughs> and a Loki variant, um, you know, developing feelings for each other, right? Um, so I thought that was kind of cool. I, I enjoyed their dialogue. Um, I thought it was kind of a cool break from the typical like uh, Marvel action, you know, that we see from the MCU. Um, I, 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 I do where I, I do understand where some of the complaints are coming from, where it was, yeah, it could be, you know, seen as kind of a slow filler type episode. Um, Edward, I know you had some, some uh, problems with this episode. What did you think about episode three? Yeah, maybe I'm not not as down on it as you guys are, but I I, I, th- I think I think it was the character building episode. It, it needed to happen and needed to happen probably where they did it. My, my problem wasn't so much that they didn't move the plot forward and they spent the time on character because I think that that is important because you need to these characters need to be connected somehow in order for the rest of the show to work. Um, I was more just disappointed about what the execution of that, right? Like I, I felt that like I was I did not I was not engaged. I, I didn't believe that these characters were were falling in love at the end. Um, <laughs> and I just, I just, I did. I my my problem wasn't with like the, what they attempted to do. My problem was that they they I, they they didn't succeed in what they were attempting to do. Got it. Okay. So speaking of this relationship, friendship, whatever you want to call it, um, yeah, some questions do come up here. So. Um, 
a reveal from that episode is that Loki, the Tom Hiddleston Loki, is apparently bisexual. Um, something a lot of folks talked about afterward. What do you guys think about that reveal? Did it seem odd to you? Like, I'll, I'll give my take first. It it did it did it did seem like it was sort of unnecessarily thrown in there. Like it was definitely interesting, but to me, it would have been more interesting if it it had anything to do with the story. It kind of didn't, right? Uh, so I think it was just kind of thrown in there just for the sake of it, and maybe just to get people talking about it. Um, I don't know. Any other thoughts on that? Man, I I uh, completely forgot about that. <laughs> you forgot. <laughs> it does, I guess it doesn't really come up anywhere else in the show uh, at all, does it? Like exactly, it, it it doesn't really have any bearing on the whole season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, huh, yeah, I, I forgot. I, I think I think part of it goes back to the source material, like the the original Loki in the the Norse myths. Um, he he was about as bisexual as you come. Like he, he he's a shape changer, and he turned himself into women. He turned himself into men, and he had babies both as a man and as a woman. Um, uh, um, what's his name? Uh, oh, Odin's horse like, that he uses is actually uh, it's Loki's baby that he ba- that he gave birth to when he would turn into a he turned himself into a female horse and was impregnated by another horse and gave birth to this horse that that Odin uses. And so his his uh, his sexuality in the original. Um, the original material was about as like um, open, I guess you could say, <laughs> as, as as possible. And so I think like uh, there, there were a few things like that where they were sh- throwing things back to the, that that earlier material, the, the the source material. And I think that was just one attempt to do that when they were trying to like again spend time building these characters and giving them more uh, more background and grounding that you can like interpret things through. That's cool. Very interesting stuff. Um, again, though, I would say it would have been better if they tied it in with the actual storyline of the season. <laughs> uh, it would have been it, 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 it wouldn't have seen so wedged in there, I think. Um, OK, the other thing I want to bring up is the relationship itself. Now, did it seem odd to you that Loki and Sylvie were falling in love? Given the fact that they're essentially the same person, uh, did it feel, I don't know, incestuous? Did it feel strange? I don't know. What do you guys think? I I say yes and no, just because, like, it's weird. Because, yeah, like, it's your Loki's other self in a whole other universe. But at the same time, Loki's in love with himself. He's a fucking narcissist. <laughs> and like, he, so it makes sense for Loki to fall in love with himself in another, another universe. Yeah, you could argue that the only person he could ever fall in love with is himself. Right? <laughs> so in that, from that perspective, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, I wasn't too weirded out. Uh, it seemed like, Sylvie was a very different type of Loki from the Tom Hiddleston Loki. Uh, so yeah, it kind of made sense that they were this odd couple, you know? Um, but I don't know. It's a kind of out there show. Uh, so an out there pairing like this didn't seem too strange to me. 
Yeah, I think they, they needed to have like a, a love triangle with the uh, the alligator Loki. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There you go. And President Loki. Um, okay. Oh, speaking of alligator, so I, if I remember correctly, that was episode five, right? With mm-hmm. many Loki variants battling each other. We got the smoke monster. We got the Teletubby land. <laughs> a lot of weirdness. Um, I think, Edward, you mentioned you weren't a big fan of this episode. Maybe you can tell us a little bit about uh, why that is. Yeah, like it's interesting. Like I think episode three was uh, universally less liked than the others uh, when I read message boards and so on after the show. Um, I expected people would be people would think like me and they would be disappointed in episode five. And that was not the case. People seem to have loved, loved, loved episode five. I think I think uh, the tease of the variant Lokis in ep- the end of episode four was fantastic. Like the ending of episode four um, was just like jaw droppingly fun. Um, I think again, I think they, they dropped the ball and some of the execution in episode five, I think um, all of a sudden I, for a show that had tons of exposition, they did a terrible job of explaining what the rules were in this episode and what was actually happening and why it was happening. Characters just, I felt like started to do things to hit plot points rather than based on any sort of the characters that we developed around them. So like, for example, so Sylvie is working with Ravona. Ravona tells her a bunch of stuff and then it becomes clear that Ravona was lying to her and trying to trick her. But still Sylvie believes the earlier stuff that Ravona told her and believes that if I disintegrate myself, I'll go off to this other dimension. Like, given that Sylvie doesn't trust people, why is Sylvie, and, and, and we know that Ravona is lying about other things, why is she trusting Ravona about that thing to the point where she's going to sacrifice her life to go and do it? I just, it just didn't feel like it was in character at all. It, just, it was because the, the, the writers needed her to do that thing in order for them to get to the next plot point. Mm. And I felt like that this episode was kind of full of that stuff. Like, if this is where the place where everyone's getting dumped, where they're, um, uh, uh, I know when they're when they're killing the timelines or ending the timelines, they send every, everything goes here. Well, then why was this place so small? Because if, wouldn't there have been like lots of these timelines that they've been ending and lots of people that they've been ending over the over the millennia? Um, and why is it full of just Lokis? Like, why aren't there <laughs> alternate other people there? And then yeah, why is Mo, like, it's just what, how Mobius happens to be there too? Like of this in this again, this is like all of times all getting dumped there. But it seems like all our characters find each other immediately and they go and solve the problem. Just it just felt it felt it felt like it was again writers needing to get to episode six and they just kind of said we're just going to make it happen and we're going to ignore all the the, the 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 flaws with our with our model. Yeah, go ahead, Christian. I was just like, yeah, that was a really good point. It, it does feel like like a really rushed episode. Like it feels like two. It could be two or three episodes, essentially, mm-hmm. with the different ideas. Um, with you know, Syl- Sylvie going to the world, going to the, this new world, uh, the like all the variant Loki's getting together and the smoke monster, um, all crammed into forty-five minutes. Uh, essentially resolving kind of all of those points, and yeah, you are kind of right. Where they do, it does feel like they have to rush along so they can get to their big finale. Yeah, like I would say, like yeah. Loki, it's like it's too bad. It's only six. It was like six episodes instead of like I think the other ones were like eight to ten. No, I, I think I think they wrote themselves into the corner and they just had to solve it. And so they said, "Hey, we're just going to solve it to get where we need to go." Um, 
And I guess it's better to do that in the penultimate episode rather than the last episode. Like, I think I feel like Lost kind of did this uh, where they kind of like threw their hands in the air and kind of wrapped everything up in a way that was mm-hmm. very unsatisfying. Uh, and Loki did that in their second last episode. But then the final episode, they 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 kind of like stuck it back. <laughs> they, they messed up the flip, but they landed the landing. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a good point. Speaking of smoke monsters, right? Uh, but yeah, really solid points, Edward. Um, in total agreement. When you have a show like this, where when you're dealing with magic, when you're dealing with multiverse, when you're dealing with timelines and pruning and enchanting, uh, you, you can't get just totally out of control you know you have to have you have to be grounded somehow like you're saying the way characters are developed the way the characters behave has to match how they've been developed you know um you talk about rules you know there's certain rules you got to follow like you know like like we're all saying you can't explain everything you know it'd just be too boring and too long right you can't explain everything but you have to have some explanation for things, right? Um, a lot of it can be considered nitpicking, um, but when it comes down to it, if, if you don't develop certain things, if you don't explain certain things, um, it can kind of ruin moments in shows and movies. So uh, for example, that last episode was great, um, but what threw me for a bit of a loop was and we talked about how there wasn't a lot of fighting. There was a fight. There was this battle between Sylvie and Loki when they determined that they were kind of at odds at what uh, with what they wanted to do. Sylvie wanted to kill Kang and Loki was like, wait, wait, let's let's think about this. Right. So they ended up doing battle. So interestingly, during that battle, we saw some powers that t- to me kind of came out of nowhere. There's a moment where Loki like grabs sylvie with some sort of telekinetic power and like and and draws her back to him i'm like wait he can do that um similarly at one point sylvie kind of shoots these energy blasts out of her hands um she has some telekinetic powers where she like moves kang's table away from him um so stuff like that i was like wait a minute what can these characters do what what can they not do um, with Sylvie, I was maybe a little bit more forgiving because she's a new character. But look, we we have seen the Tom Hiddleston Loki for like literally 10 years, you know, throughout the MCU. We I, I mean, I had a pretty good handle at what this character can do. He's a ma- master at illusion. He can create these like uh, duplicates of himself. Um, he's he's a master manipulator. He's great at lying and tricking people. Um but there's some things he did in the show that I had never seen before. And I'm like, okay, how do you explain that? Um, and it just took me away from the show L- moments like that. And I think that the, the season is kind of chock full with these, mo- with these moments that they're a lot of fun um, and they're goofy and silly, but um, logically uh, is they don't, they don't work. Right. Um, so I, yeah, there, I was definitely disappointed at, at, at points in the season where there were moments like that. Okay, here's another topic that I think is worth discussing, and that is the Loki character. So, like I said, 
we've seen this Loki for 10 years. He was in the 2011 Thor film, right? And he's been in the MCU a whole lot since then. But up until this series, he has been a villain or a side character. For the first time, he's a leading man, right? How do you guys feel about Tom Hiddleston as Loki as the lead of a TV show? Was it weird? Did it work? Did it not work? What do you guys think? In my opinion, I don't think it worked. Just since, you know, like every time we see Loki, he's so deceiving and such a manipulator. So for this, it just made, I, I just, I don't know. I couldn't trust Loki. I It was so hard to take him serious as like the, the main character. Like if he tried seem seeming like genuine like oh i care about you or i want to do this or like for once i'm not lying it's just like are you are you really yeah. like I, I i don't know like the whole time i couldn't yeah i just couldn't take him seriously so i think that was really annoying for me like i i just in my opinion my personal taste i just think loki works better as the side villain or as the villain um, the main character, I just, it, it, I couldn't get to it. Yeah, I'm with you there, Perfurio. I do think it was interesting having this character as the lead of the show, because like you said, he's had this history of being villainous and someone you can't trust. So yeah, it was interesting to see him as the primary protagonist. Um, but yeah, I, I agree with you 100% that he worked better as a side character or a villain. You know, I, you know, I mean, a, a lot of these MCU movies are super beloved to me. So uh, there's that bias. But, you know, it, it's I, I love villain Loki. You know, it doesn't get any better than villain Loki. Right. Uh, so, yeah, it, it it worked, I thought. But. Uh, I, I do think he's better served as as a villain or a side character. Mm-hmm. Any other thoughts there? Yeah, I got something because Prevera, I think he brings up a good point, but um, like where you don't know if he's kind of lying the entire time we were watching the show. So um, I actually I, I think I like that about about Loki about him in the show. Um, the fact that he always seems like he has an ulterior motive at like just about every point in the show except for like the very end when he's fighting with Sylvie in a way like it's kind of the only time he he feels like he's like truly being honest about about who he is in a sense um cuz i think at some at points in the show he even mentions that he's kind of like lying to himself in a sense yeah and he's kind of this king of mischief out of some sort of insecurity and the only person he's able to open up to is essentially another version of himself it's the only real person he can trust and when you know kang kind of tells loki the the way of the world how the universe works in a sense he is being honest with sylvie and that he doesn't want it he wants to a sense uh, maintain a you know a sense of control to the universe as opposed to absolute chaos, which is what happened if Kang would die. And of course, because Sylvie is also a Loki, Sylvie betrays him and kills him. And so um, I think there's a really great like kind of shot, like pretty much after he goes through the portal, um, 
where you just get like it feels like a, a couple minutes of just kind of him just putting his head down in kind of shame and, and it's like this really long take and i think that that was like a, a great kind of bookend to that scene where it just kind of sits on it and you kind of kind of recollect on who he is and who he's become and how in a sense he's changed by this journey um but he has essentially been betrayed because you can never trust a Loki. Mm-hmm. Yes, indeed. That's a great point, Christian. Like, I I do stick to my guns and that I think Loki works better as a villain. Uh, but ultimately, I think the character does work because, like you're saying, you get that full arc, right? You know, th- there is like this redemptive quality at the end where he's he's kind of learned from from this crazy journey he's been on, right? So, yeah, uh, that was pretty cool. Okay, so I know we all have questions. <laughs> I think now's a good time to throw it in, throw out any questions to the group you might have about this season. Are you baffled about anything? Are you walking away scratching your head, wondering what was that all about? questions I, I i have a question um i guess it's it's more about i guess the format rather than uh, about the show itself okay so um the way we're talking about kang how he's like the, the new big mcu threat mm-hmm. the way we're uh we're talking about this is essentially even though it's not the first part of phase four in a sense it it, it kind of establishes where the universe will go um so what do you got like do you guys think this could have been a movie the way we also kind of mentioned that three and five um three kind of felt like a filler three and five is kind of rushed do you guys think this could work as a movie would you guys want to see a shortened version of this uh, as like the beginning of phase four in a sense if this kicked off phase four as the first movie do you guys think this works or do you guys think it's best in its own kind of mini series or you know kind of format with Disney Plus. And since it is, what do you guys think this this says about the MCU kind of moving forward as opposed whereas before it was all it was all movies, Agents of Shield supplemented a little bit, but now it feels like the MCU really exists in these Disney Plus mini series with the movies supplementing it in a sense. So that was like three questions in one. So <laughs> pick and choose. Um, I think, no, I, th- I think this show just uh, based on the storyline and everything worked better as this, this mini six episode series. Um, I think this movie should have been the first to kick off phase four instead of one division, just because, Again, like this really kicks off the multiverse. Um, but uh, in, in terms of your second part of the question, I think that this, yeah, it goes to show that probably the majority of the story for like phase four is going to be within the TV shows. And then it kind of, uh, like resolves itself or um like yeah like resolves itself within the movies 
um, yeah, like WandaVision and uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier, like it told a story about what was going on, but you could obviously tell it's like setting up for something bigger. Like WandaVision, um, it's going to lead up to Doctor Strange 2, and then Falcon and Winter Soldier, it leads up to Captain America 4, which was announced like hours after the finale aired. And um, there's a whole subplot with Madame Hydra at the end, which Black Widow is also connected to. So this movie, I feel like, like I said earlier, like I don't think season two can resolve the issues that were um, laid out in this season. But it's going to take like a lot of different MCU projects to kind of figure out like the direction that the Marvel Universe is going yeah, I think your question about movies or shows, which will be leading the way now? I don't think we know. I think the lines are cl- kind of blurred there, right? I think the bottom line is you really have to watch it all now, right? There is no like uh, optional content, right? Um, it's all like critical MCU viewing, required viewing. Um, but the other question you posed, uh, would this season work as a movie instead of a TV show? I would say definitively, absolutely not. I don't think so. It's just too bonkers. It's too out there. And maybe more importantly is the fact that a lot of the show is explaining shit. The, expo- uh, the expositional quality, right? Like you could argue... The, the best stuff was in that finale where they explained this multiverse, right? And you need like a long form format for that. You need a TV series. Uh, you can't do that in a movie where you just spend two hours explaining shit, you know, just, just, yeah, no. Uh, so yeah, for, for what it is, you know, I, I think it's good. I'm glad they didn't decide to do a Loki movie instead of a Loki show like they did here. And the fact that they're doing uh, season two uh, is cool because um, maybe we'll get more answers. <laughs> maybe more questions too, but at least we'll get some more answers. It feels a little bit like the, the, the television shows are providing background for the movies. Like if we look at like what happened with yeah. Winter Soldier, when we left Endgame, Steve Rogers hands the shield over to, to Anthony Mackie, the Falcon and says, Hey, you're going to be the new captain America. And he's like, I don't know if I can do it. And so on. And the, the television then kind of reverts back on that and says, Oh, he didn't accept it. He goes through a whole process and then he gets the shield. But at the end of winter uh, of, of Falcon, uh, captain America and the winter soldier, he's kind of in the same spot that the audience saw him in when Endgame ended only um, we people who've watched that additional piece of content have like gone through some storytelling, got some more background to see kind of where he's at mentally, but they aren't going to be lost when they, when they see him next and he's captain America. If you saw Endgame, it would just, it would make sense because that's kind of where the show was ending. And it feels like that's what they're doing with these shows is they're providing more background for people that care. But if you don't watch the shows, if you just watch the movies, you should be able to follow along in the storyline because I don't think what what Marvel doesn't want to do is get to the point where nobody understands the movies unless they've watched 23 other movies plus another like 18 other shows because they're, they're releasing shows at such high frequency going forward that 
requiring someone to have seen it all before they can watch a, a movie is it's, it's not gonna it's not gonna do very well for their pocketbooks that's a great point i think uh for for fans like us this is really required viewing but let's say for a more casual fan um yeah uh, maybe the tv shows aren't completely critical must-see viewing right um your example of of uh the sam wilson character is great because if we see him in captain america 4 wielding the shield you know a casual viewer could easily make the connection from the end of Endgame to that point it just so happens that it's much more interesting to know the whole backstory of his transition from falcon to the new captain america right um and the same thing here like when we see the villainous kang appear um that character will probably work just fine as a standalone without any knowledge of this like kinder, gentler Kang from episode six, Loki season one. Um, but it's sure as hell a lot more interesting to know that whole backstory, right? So I, yeah, that's a great point. I think maybe it's not super critical. You have to watch every episode of every Disney plus Marvel show, uh, but you get a lot of cool background. Uh, so, hey, speaking of season two, that's a good question. What do you guys think is in store for season two of Loki? What's next? That was, I should call out, that was the post-credit stinger on episode six. <laughs> I, I know you guys were just like me. You're waiting for that extra scene, right? Like, what could it be, right? And kind of disappointingly there wasn't but we got the thrill of knowing there will be a season two of loki uh the question is what will be in that season any thoughts any speculation perhaps well, i think what's also interesting is we know that there's going to be more of this multiverse stuff going forward right so we know that there's going to be something about multiverse and spider-man there's clearly something going to be happening in doctor strange yep. um who, who knows what else is going to happen? Because I think what we don't know is when season two is going to, going to appear. It's yeah. clearly not going to happen before Spider-Man or Dr. Strange. And mm -hmm. there's lots of rumors that Loki's going to appear in Dr. Strange. So how is that going to work out? Is like, well, and I'll, I'll throw this out there too. As far as I know, I don't think the Marvel team fully knows either. Cause the director of Loki one is not running season two. She kind of like threw that out there and said like, Hey, someone else is going to take over and figure out where to go with this. Right, right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, one thing we might see is where did Ravana go? Right. So she slipped through a portal, um, made a statement to the effect of, I'm going to seek free will, something like that. Um, maybe we'll find out where she went. Any thoughts of where she might have gone? I know that question has come up. She went for a long ass vacation. <laughs> she deserves it, damn it. <laughs> she <laughs> spent <does>. eons <laughs> taking care of this damn timeline. She, she deserves it. She went somewhere and then she's going to like send a picture to Mobius and be like, I have the jet ski. <laughs> oh, the jet ski. Okay. <laughs> Talk about an unresolved storyline. Like I was like waiting for the moment I got to see Owen Wilson riding a jet ski, completely happy. 
didn't get that moment. That's my prediction for season two. There you go. <laughs> we'll they, finally they better, get to see this. Yeah, they better have it in season two. <laughs> we saw he had, he had a magazine and everything. Like, come on. <laughs> maybe, maybe we'll see them all on jet skis for each different universe. Right. <laughs> There's a different one riding a jet ski. Yeah, that's the thing with this show. You really don't know what's coming. I mean, that's kind of the beauty of the show, but it hard's them. It that's what is hard about speculating. You just you really don't know. It's it's hard to predict what's going to happen. Yeah. So presumably, we'll see more of the Tom Hiddleston Loki and more of Sylvie. Um, yeah, I don't know. Even that, like, who, who knows? Like, where where are they going to take? this show it could be a, a completely different loki variant mm, yeah okay. i guess theoret if you think about it there's an infinite amount of possibilities because this is a multiverse yeah yeah it's true and you have an infinite amount of loki's an infinite amount of kang's infinite amount of spider-man yeah exactly <laughs> well so yes. sony may not allow that <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you can't allow infinite spider-man just yet. as long as disney pays the bills yeah you know otherwise there's a limit <laughs> um I, I, yeah. I guess like one thing that i enjoyed from this season is kind of like the confirmation of two young avengers because you guys both know how much i i love and i'm excited to see young avengers team and so we see two members in this season kind of confirmed there's kid loki and then a uh, king variant is actually a young avenger member Oh, that's right. Uh huh. Yeah. So, so like, you know, these all these Disney Plus shows have been really good at like teasing. So, again, Loki just adds fuel to like the this Young Avengers team up later in the future. Mm -hmm. Um, that was one thing I was excited for. Dropping those Easter eggs. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they know how to do it. <laughs> Uh -huh. yeah, yeah, I think the shows are. That's another thing. I think the shows are doing in general, right? Because we also saw that in in Wanda, they have her two kids who are also yep. being set up to be Young Avengers. In yeah. um, Winter Soldier, they introduced, um, oh, what's his name? Is it a Patriot or something? Like it's, yeah. it's the son of yeah, the. Pa pa uh, yeah, Elijah yeah, Bradley. Elijah Bradley. They, yeah. So they introduced him in that one. We know in in Hawkeye, they're going to introduce like Hawkeye, the, the younger version of Hawkeye. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know if Ms. Marvel ever becomes a young Avenger, but like I can, can totally see them doing it in, in for uh, for the for our purposes. Like it feels like yeah. they're 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 using the shows almost to to set all those characters up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. You know, we were talking about um, Val showing up in Black Widow, and how it seems like she's putting together maybe the Thunderbolts or maybe the Dark Avengers. Um, there's definitely like this young Avengers thing going on. And I just know that Kevin Feige has got like this big whiteboard where he's masterminding <laughs> this whole thing. And, mm -hmm. and like, um, like he's admitted before. Sometimes he, he sets something up and doesn't necessarily follow through with it, or maybe he doesn't follow through with it till much later, but he leaves the door open and we see that happening here. We're, we're seeing many doors left open to many things. Right. 
And uh, yeah, he can't help but get excited about the possibilities. And it's cool. It's cool. Just just the prospect of some of this stuff happening is is really awesome. Mm-hmm. Christian, I have a question for you. Yes. Okay. So I know earlier in this season we talked about like the director said that much influence was given from Teletubbies. So did you see more of like Teletubbies in this season or Rick and Morty? <laughs> Um, I've never watched Teletubbies. So, <laughs> um, let's see. I I did see that Rick and Morty reference. I think Rick and Morty season five is also like ongoing, uh-huh. and so Rick and Morty just kind of happens to be a little more fresh in my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like yeah, yeah. I remember you did show me that they were influenced by Teletubbies, uh-huh. which is pretty funny. Um. <laughs> uh, and so, like, I definitely felt, yeah, I definitely felt that Rick and Morty reference. I think <laughs> it's it's almost hard not to do a multiverse type of idea now without referencing Rick and Morty because yeah. it's become so popular mm-hmm. in a way. But, like, yeah, the TVA def- definitely, uh, I was definitely thinking of the movie Time Bandits. And um, let's see, another great Ter- Terry Gilliam movie is uh, 12 Monkeys. Um, oh, yeah. a great time travel movie where mm-hmm. they um the uh that organization that is sending Brad Pitt uh, uh back. I I definitely got a vibe of that as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of Rick and Morty, the final episode of Loki takes place at the Citadel at the end of time. And in Rick and Morty, there just so happens to be something called the Citadel of Ricks. <laughs> now, coincidence? I don't think so. I don't think so. <laughs> so. So maybe in season two, we'll get the Citadel of Loki. <laughs> we got a go. we got a little bit of hint of that. Yeah, President Loki. But maybe now we'll get an entire Citadel. <laughs> yeah. So, so does Disney own Rick and Morty? No, Warner no. Brothers does technically. Okay, or maybe not yet. <laughs> I guess so. Like, I'll buy yeah. first. With Disney, it's always not yet. Right? Yeah, I know. Yeah, right? Just a matter of time. <laughs> like I know, I know they're owned by Warner Brothers because they appear because Rick and Morty appeared in Space Jam. Oh my gosh! Yeah, that was a whole other multiverse kind of thing. Yeah. Wow, the server verse. This the server verse. That's exactly what they called it. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, uh, so I think we can get close to wrap-up time. Um, before we do our ratings, any final thoughts on Loki Season 1? Oh, let me pose this question, too. Um, because in my mind, there was some parallels between Watchmen and this uh, Episode 6 uh, finale. Um, the, the parallels I saw was between Kang and the Ozymandias character where they're doing this incredibly complicated scheme in order, in the case of Watchmen, for Ozymandias to save the world and in the case of Loki, for Kang to save the multiverse, right? Um, they're sacrificing lives for the greater good and um, it's a seemingly insane character who 
Um, it's seen by many as a great villain, but in his mind, he's doing what he needs to to save the universe, right? Um, do you think Kang was doing the right thing? Like I had, I had very similar thoughts about about Ozymandias. Was he doing the right thing about like dropping these giant squids on the world in order to save the world? Um, was Kang doing the right thing, creating the TVA, uh, pruning these people, killing people, sending these people to this terrible place uh, in order to uh, save the multiverse? Was he doing the right thing? What do you guys think? I think they did a better job, at least making it plausible that he's doing the right thing than they sure did with Thantos. Like Thantos, they try. I, I think they, there was like this attempt that like he had a motivation and he was going to try to like save the environment. But at a certain point, like killing half the universe was just like there, there, there was no way to like turn that into oh maybe he maybe maybe Thantos was right. Like you could write an Atlantic piece on it, but come on now. Um, whereas I think that they've done a much better job this time of like th saying like may, maybe that the person this villain that we're working with is is in the right and and, and our heroes our protagonists aren't. Um, uh, I think they left it as an open question, but 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 as a, a serious consideration. I know. I, th I think Kang convinced me um, that he was doing the right thing. I think because like um, we don't know what this multiversal war looked like, and it, but it, it because it sounds like you know a multiverse. It's on an entire a scale, essentially beyond our comprehension. Of, of what it is and how many people may have how many, or how many beings may have died in yeah. this and so the idea of com it's almost like there's he's kind of like holding back like an eldritch something something more eldritch in a way the idea like and the idea of like infinite kangs who may be evil um and so he did convince me that, you know, like, okay, he is a bad guy, but he's the one keeping us safe, in a sense. Mm -hmm. yeah. 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 What do you think, Preferio? I think, I don't know, from a storyline standpoint, I feel like the writers convinced me that he was doing the right thing. But just from, like, you know, like, a writer's point standpoint like i i just feel like it just leaves so much room for like the rest of the mc for an endless amount of possibilities that could maybe lead to like lazy writing you know i've said it so many times before like that's one thing i hear about like multiverse like storylines about like is someone really dead like who um this can happen and this can happen like the it, there's just like no like concrete answer of how to get from point A to point B. But in terms of the storyline, just moving it forward, I felt like he was, and it just makes the audience that more invested into what's going on. I, I think one thing that he's done your, to your point is that they've uh, they've extended the life of the MCU with this this world. Mm -hmm. um, oh they've, yeah, they've, because now. They, they they already have been setting up the fact that like, hey, the Falcon is going to be the new Captain America. We're going to have a Captain America 4 movie with mm. a character that we're invested in without Chris Evans. And uh, 
they, they've said that Kevin has said that where they're not going to recast Captain America, they're not going to have Chris, a new player person come in and play uh, play Tony Stark with, after Robbie Downey Jr. is gone. They're just not going to do that. But now that the MCU has made it so that hey, there's a Loki character that looks like an alligator, and there's a Loki character that's a kid, and there's a Loki character that's old. They're not all played by the same actor. This allows you to open up the possibility of like, hey, somewhere yeah. down the line, some Captain America from a different, um, a different uh, uh, multiverse comes in and, and gets back in play. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very, very much like what they've done with the comics. They've they've taken beloved characters and continued their stories, but with different people taking the mantle, right? Uh, so, yeah, I think what can work in the comics can work in the movies and on TV for sure. And just to play devil's advocate, you know, I, I was definitely buying into what Kang was talking about. He had a great pitch. He had a great presentation with his little like clay models and stuff. <laughs> uh, I was, you know, I was, I was, uh, I was buying it, but then, you know, it, it got me thinking that uh, he's, he's basically telling the story from his own, perspective so you know sylvie's calling him an outright liar i I don't think it was an outright lie but he certainly could have been exaggerating some things right he was basically saying if we don't do this tva thing and pruning and protecting the timeline like we are screwed like the multiverse will will like just you know, we'll, we'll be no longer. These crazy kings will come around and like, we're, we're done. Um, I, I, it's hard for me to believe that. And um, I think, I think there was some exaggeration there. And I, I don't think it was absolutely necessary to have this all controlling organization, the TVA um, take, take care of everything. Um, I feel like, I feel like he, yeah, he, he was kind of, uh, you know, be doing a, a bit of salesmanship there, I think. Um, that's why I think in the end, I, I was kind of siding with Loki. Like he wasn't outright, okay, let's just take over the TVA and we'll be good. He was just questioning. He was like, wait, wait, don't kill him yet. Let's, let's, let's think this through. Like I, I was, that's how I was reacting to the whole story. Mm-hmm. But again, I think that's what makes that scene so great. Um, there are many different ways to take it. And none of the perspectives we've mentioned are completely wrong, right? Uh, so yeah, it, it's, it's, good, it's good, complex uh, storytelling. So dig right. it. Okay, wait, I have like two more final questions. Go ahead. Do you guys think that, because the new, the net, the next Marvel project coming out is coming out in two weeks with the What If animated show on Disney yeah. Plus. Do you think the like the end of Loki is affecting like that What If storyline? Oh, like like What If it's essentially just different universes rather than like yeah. non-canon questions. Y- yeah, uh-huh. like in this whole another multiverse timeline yeah killmonger saves um tony stark or Hmm. do you think what do you guys think that's a cool way to look at it i think um that it's just essentially just a a different look into each different universe 
and these are essentially we're looking at infinite possibilities and yeah. then these are essentially canon within the MCU just with not in our universe instead of just uh just like oh we're just going to have fun with the con- here this is non-canon you know yeah it, 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 it could be even more than that right like, this is this is the chance to <laughs> uh, allow the Marvel universe to play with animation because everything in the Marvel cinematic universe has been live action. Well, up until recently, it's all been movie live action. And mm-hmm. now they've gone into comics, they've gone, sorry, gone into uh, television shows and they're tying it in with, and, and, and so on. Um, going into animation is a little bit more risky, but it also lets them do things that they can't do in live action. If we want to go and even for the, the, the comic, even for the, what if they couldn't get the voice for Robert Downey Jr. They couldn't get the voice for Chris Evans. They got a lot of the voices, but not all of them. But if they want to start doing like shows like uh, where they take these characters and take them in different directions, they're not going to be able to do that. But in animation, maybe they can. And so this is a way to experiment to be like, can we pull this off and tell a story that ties into the Marvel Universe in some way? I expect it'll be background for for uh, the Doctor Strange film. Good call. Yeah, I think uh, this show could open the door to another whole realm right this animation thing could be a whole nother thing uh, but kind of like what you're saying christian i agree you know um with what if it uh it certainly seems to be like a step in this multiverse direction you know it's not a question of is this canon or is this just something else it's it can be like all canon right as long as you explain it with the multiverse uh so yeah i think it's it can be kind of cool where you know um it seems like it's delving into some pretty out there territory where peggy carter becomes captain america instead of steve rogers etc um but where one person might say oh that's just you know that's just some some weird fantasy, not canon. Uh, another person might say, "Well, it's just a different timeline, <laughs> right?" Yeah. So yeah, that's okay. the multiverse. Yeah. Oh yeah, you got well, another it, question? Uh, yeah, I was gonna say it also solves the problem. Some of the problems with Sony, because Sony wants all of their Spider-Man long tail characters to tie in with with the MCU. Yeah. And uh, Kevin Kevin does not want that at all. And so this is kind of like lets them solve that and say, hey, you can have all your spiral universe that it ties into the MCU. It's in another um, multiverse that we're not, not going to talk about <laughs> on a day-to-day basis. Great point. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if, if Kevin Feige wants to leave the Venom movie out of his <laughs> universe, <laughs> he can and just say, oh, yeah, it's a different timeline. <laughs> okay. Uh, Preferio, you had a, another question? Yeah, one last question I had. Okay, so we know, we kind of figured, like, yeah, King's going to be the next big baddie, big baddie for the MCU because, like, him dying was create this multiverse war. But, like, what makes him, like, more powerful or less powerful than, like, other, like, time celestial beings that we know already exist in the Marvel Universe, like the Watch, the Watcher or... The Eternals. Well, I think they kind of explain it at the end of the season, right? You know, it, the teaser is so great because 
first off, you you love this character. You kind of fall in love with this character because of Jonathan Major's performance. But then when he says, like, you, you think I'm nuts. Where do you see these, these other gangs out there, right? Uh-huh. They're, they're really dangerous. Um, and it's just like having this power in the wrong hands. That's what's dangerous, right? You know what could possibly go wrong, right? And uh, that, that's, that's the threat to me. You know, ha- having this sort of ability, this sort of power in the wrong hands, it's, it's, very, uh, it's, it's very dangerous. Hey, I have one question for you guys. Um, Marvel owns the rights to a whole bunch of cowboys. Like, so two, two gun kid and kid Colt and the rawhide kid, um, uh, the, the phantom rider calamity Jane, they own all these rights to all these characters that, that were Most of them were made in the 1930s, 40s and fifties, but they've in the comic books, they've tied into like the, the, the standard cinematic universe through time travel and stuff. I think kid Colt or something came into the modern world now, or right. One of them is anyway, in the modern world now, um, Disney like owns a Halloween costume. So if you look at the top 20 Halloween costumes, 18 of them are Disney, including pirates. They, they've licensed basically pirates are now a Disney product. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. Wouldn't it be great if they owned cowboys as well? Um, how, <laughs> how, when, when will we see kid? Col- when will we see these Western characters come into the, the MCU? That's awesome. What, what a great thought. <laughs> it is. Who knows? I, I would like to see an MC Western. I think that'd be a lot of fun. I mean, yeah. look, we've been talking about that, how that's how the MCU has survived. Each movie isn't same as the last, right? They've had different genres. Each movie is a superhero movie, but they're kind of a superhero movie plus, you know, some different genre. The one one genre they haven't delved into is Western. So... Why not a Western? I'd go see that. Why not? I mean, it's a pretty out there idea. So um, I don't know if it would be a tentpole movie release, uh, but uh, maybe something on Disney Plus. Shoot. I think, you know, that'd be the perfect spot. You, you, we've seen how they've gotten experimental with these Disney Plus shows. So, you know, why not throw a Western in there? Yep. Mm-hmm. They already have time travel in the MCU. So, yeah, why not? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, hey, Disney's done a really good job on, or, or Marvel's done a very good job on, on very like, uh, not like C-list characters. Like the Guardians of the Galaxy are very, very C-list, and they turn them yeah. into superstars. Like, um, w- why not do a, a Western revival? Totally. Definitely. Okay, so we can go all day about the Marvel multiverse and time travel and all that cool stuff, uh, but I think it's time to wrap it up. So. Let's give our ratings out of five stars. What would you give Loki season one? Why don't we start with Edward, our special guest? What do you think? Well, this is my first time ranking anything. So it, 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 uh, it's, it's, it was very good. If, if I were to, there's 26 or so Marvel properties right now. And I would definitely put it in the top 20% of that. So if you took all of Marvel properties and spread them from one to five, uh, Loki sits in the top in the top decile, I think. So give it a five. Right on. Five out of five. Okay. How about Christian? What do you think? Right. Um, let's see. Um, I think about probably a four, four out of five. I think that, um, yeah, like episode three and five. Um, 
were not as great. Um, I think episode four and episode six were like, you know, top tier five out of five. I love those episodes. Um, and one and two is like kind of getting you into the flow, uh, flow and like kind of the world of the show. Um, I've all, we've said a lot of great things and there are some quite a few drawbacks, but overall, this is, uh, I think my favorite of the Disney plus shows and I'd highly recommend. Cool. Uh, how about you prefer you? Um, I would honestly give it a probably a three out of five. I enjoyed it, but I just think that it was just all over the place. Um, and like, like I said before, I didn't trust Loki as the main character. And I see that, yeah, it sets up the seeds for the multiverse. Um, but like off the top of my head, I could just see, I could just name out a lot more things I didn't like from the show than what I liked. Not to say that it was a bad show. I would still recommend to anybody. Um, but it just wasn't my personal cup of tea. Got it. Okay, so I'm going to go with three out of five also. Definitely enjoyed the show. Um, and I do think about the, the past Disney Plus shows also. I gave WandaVision a three. And I do feel kind of a similar feel in terms of my satisfaction levels. Uh, Loki and WandaVision. So I think three feels right there. Um, but also I was thinking about my anticipation levels. So, you know, with the previous two shows, I found myself staying up till midnight so I can watch like, boom, midnight, watch the show or watching them multiple times. Um, never did that with Loki. Uh, I never watched at midnight. I never watched it a second time any of the episodes oh wait I, I guess i should correct myself i watched that finale twice i did do that <laughs> um, but that was a little bit more in preparation for our discussion here uh than just like needing to watch it again uh so yeah i didn't really crave the show um i think there was even an episode where i waited till friday to watch Ooh, <laughs> uh, so i waited a couple days that's like unheard of right um so yeah i just wasn't like oh my god i gotta watch this um so i think that that uh says something and my last little bit is uh something i mentioned before um this show was i think a pretty good example of expositional storytelling particularly that last episode people talking explaining stuff um that can be very boring uh but it also can be pretty engaging you know and i th i think that last episode did well there um but ultimately i think the the entire season can be considered ex expositional storytelling it's just explaining stuff going on in the ncu um, and I never got that feeling of the visceral experience that we're, that we get so often with the MCU. You're, you're really in it. You're really like feeling what's going on. This was more like the supplemental material. Like you're getting great explanations for, uh, what's going on and it, it supplements those great visceral experiences really well. Um, but never did I feel like caught up in the moment, right? It felt like, I don't know, 
the director's commentary or the after show discussion, you know, it was a little bit more appeal on that level. Um, so again, unique, interesting, new, yes. Uh, um, but I didn't quite get the thrills that uh, I am so accustomed to with the MCU. Okay, before we wrap up, um, hey, Edward, you know, one thing, one last thing I wanted to touch upon with you is something we do quite often, and that's comparing an adaptation to its source material. I know you're very invested in Silver Age Marvel, and Loki, the character Loki in the Marvel Universe, was created during this period, during the 60s. Uh, how does the TV show Loki compare to the original 1960s Marvel Comics Loki? Yeah, the, the, so the original, um, the original Loki, uh, again, at, at the time, Stan Lee was just trying to figure stuff out. But Loki was one of the, his mainstays that he went back to. There were, most of the villains that appeared in those, at, at, that, uh, at that time were really one-shots. Like the porcupine would show up and then he would be gone again. Or the plant man would show up and be gone again. Radioactive man would show up and be gone again. But, uh, but Loki stuck around. So apart from Doc Dr. Doom, Loki, and Namor were really the three villains that would come back kind of again and again to, to torment the heroes. Um, uh, and Loki's like, modus operandi back then was really just, it, it really goes back to trickery. Like he was causing, he wasn't, he wasn't looking to get power and take over the world. He was really looking to cause mayhem when he managed to take out um, uh, Thor for a period of time where Thor was like incapacitated and he kind of had the, had the run of, of, uh, of, of Midgard. He didn't go and like, take over the United nations or like demand servitude. He would just like go and turn cars into flowers and like turn like buildings into candy canes and like just, just caused mayhem and mischief. Um, he, uh, he wasn't particularly sneaky, but he was uh, cunning. And so there's a lot of, he would be like tied to a, uh, like one of his first appearances, he was tied to a tree and he was like trapped in the tree and he, 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 uh, he couldn't, what was it? The only way he'd be freed is if somebody comes through and like uh, someone from um, uh, one of the other uh, the, the, the one of the other Asgardian gods comes through and, and sheds a tear for Loki. And so he uses like the, the the exact wording to go and like drop a leaf into the guy's eye. And so then he has like a, his tear comes down from his eye and, uh, and Loki managed to get free. And so he, there's lots of trickery and they've definitely taken that forward, but they've made him far more cunning than like the. The, the simplistic version that happened in the early 60s. Very cool. Yeah, I think uh, Loki is a good example of the MCU adapting a character well, making it uh, a good character for, uh, you know, big blockbuster entertainment storytelling, but at the same time, maintaining key character elements from the original source material. All right. Um, and before we wrap up here, uh, Edward, how can we listen to Super Serious 616? Uh, any, any, all the podcast players. We also have a website, uh, Super Serious 616. You can subscribe via email. And so we send the episodes out uh, 2.30 a.m. on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. And the, uh, the e if you're an email subscriber, you get um, 
uh, a bunch of background information as well. So you get like, here, here's what we're going to cover in the episode. Here's what the cover looked like, the issue we're going to cover. Here's like kind of a, a write-up of what, what's happening in that issue to kind of remind you so you can jump into to, to where you're at. And then every now and then we'll send something uh, uh, apart from just the episodes themselves. So we created an index, for example, of every episode that we've done. So if you just want to go and listen, watch all the, listen to all the Spider-Man episodes or all the Iron Man episodes, there, there's ways to do that. So that's at www.superserious616.com. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us, Edward. It's been a blast having you on the show. It's been a ton of fun. Thanks for having me. Great. And with that, we can wrap up the episode. This is Farewell from Henry, Christian, Porfirio, and Edward. <laughs>